Amen. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Good morning, Fairhill Church. All right. Well, it is it is good to be with you this post-Easter Sunday, which apparently draws people into vacation mode, but <laughs> the remnant is still here, so good to have you all. Um, so, uh, it's a bit of a free week, so we just finished our series, uh, The Crescendo to the Empty Tomb. The Crescendo to the Empty Tomb, and, and it was a little hard because we just came off the crescendo, so what do we do after that? Um, and we were talking about how everything moves towards uh, the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that that's where our hope is found, that is where our life is found. Um, that's, that's the world's hope for salvation is in Jesus Christ himself. And as we thought about that, uh, I thought it'd be helpful if we thought about kind of the second really big pinnacle day that we are waiting for, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. That there is a second resurrection day when it won't just be spiritually true as found in the resurrection, when there will be the true resurrection, um, the true victory of Christ, where his rule and his kingship will be universally felt everywhere and for all eternity. So today we're talking about the day of the Lord. Now as we think about the day of the Lord, um, I think we... We talk about, think about it with a little bit of trepidation. Um, as I think about the day of the Lord, we think about, okay, Jesus coming to judge the world. He's coming back and he's, he's holding everyone accountable. And I think uh, as we think about that day, it can be a kind of a litmus test for our faith and for uh, where we actually find our hope and our salvation. Because as I think about the day of the Lord, I can, I can waver more when I think about him coming to judge the world than I do at other times. That I think, well, how will Jesus receive me? That when that trumpet blasts, when, when the world goes dark, and there is, there is Christ standing before us, what do you expect his face to look like? Is he going to be disappointed? Is he going to be frowning? Is he joyous? Is he, is he going to run and receive you? Or, or is he going to turn his face? What is our hope there? That when he comes to judge the world, how will he receive you? I want to think about that because I, I think there is a good answer to, to that and a very clear biblical one. But I want to make sure that, that we have that in our minds so we might have great hope. So, we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 5. Um, seems a little random, but 1 Thessalonians 5. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, three things. Talk about three things. That, that the day of the Lord is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the resurrection was the beginning, in a sense, of the day of the Lord. Second, we're going to be looking at the fact that the only people who are uh, who are saved from that day of the Lord, who can rejoice on that day, are those who are called the children of light in this passage. So we're going to look at the children of light, and then finally we're going to see how Jesus' resurrection is our one hope, even in the day of the Lord. 
So uh, read with me, 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Verses 1 through 11 in 1 Thessalonians. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Pray with me. Father, as we think about this passage, um, we are humbled. We praise you as the God of all justice and the God who comes um, to make all things right. And Father, we, um, we recognize that there, there's a lot to be made right in us. And so we ask that we would have um, hearts to receive what you would uh, show us in your word. Would you empower us by the Spirit to apply these things that we may glorify Christ, love him more, and, and ultimately worship you. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so the first thing we're going to see is that there's a guarantee that the day of the Lord will come because of the resurrection. So let's start at verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. So Paul to the, the church in Thessalonica, um, the Thessalonians, he's, he's pretty optimistic. Um, they're actually doing pretty well. And so, for the most part, he's just reminding them of things that they seem to already know. And he's reminding them of the seasons and the times. The seasons and the times. And he wants them to know about these. And uh, in true Pauline fashion, he, he knows they know, but he tells them anyway. Uh, so, verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So he's saying that the day of the Lord will come and that they know the times and the seasons. The times and the seasons are such that uh, they weren't what they were before. The times and the seasons, basically the, the time that we live in, the era we live in, is different because of the resurrection. With the resurrection, the times have changed. So that the kingdom has been established. Jesus' kingdom and his rule is already established spiritually on the world. That he has already had his, his personal victory over death and sin. 
And that guarantees that his personal victory would then become this cosmic world victory over sin and death. That he came as the conquering king on the cross and he comes again as the conquering king in the, in the physical, real sense. Um, like a thief in the night. Now what does that mean? What do we do with that? The thief in the night. What does a thief do when they come to rob you? Now, one thing they don't do, they don't give you a letter that says when they're going to come. I'll, I'll meet you at 1 a.m. two weeks from now. Now, a thief does not do that. I think, though, uh, as a church, uh, kind of holistically, we've adopted some theology that says that, well, maybe Jesus will give us a note. That there will be all these signs and there's been countless people who have tried to predict the times and, and been wrong. Um, and I think that that reveals something about our heart. That Jesus is very clear. He will come like a thief in the night. You will not know when he's going to come. But we want a little more clarity. I think we want a, a forewarning so that maybe we can, we can change some things. We can get ready, and so we're not caught off guard. Unfortunately, no, we have no such guarantee that Jesus could come today, he could come tomorrow, he could come anytime post-resurrection. That the resurrection was a time that changed everything. We are now in that season. He can come whenever he wants to. No warning, a trumpet will blast, and... And we'll know that the Lord is here. Now what does that do? That makes us, um, I think that can be scary. Because we need to be ready. We need to be ready. He can come whenever he wants to at this point. But there's another, another aspect of this. Jesus comes as, as a thief. As a thief he also comes, uh, it makes the analogy of, of labor pains. These are not pleasant analogies. These are not pleasant analogies. That when Jesus comes, he will come to steal from those who are in the darkness. To steal things away from them. He will steal away their treasures, the treasures of darkness. He will steal away uh, the things that they prize most dearly. He will even steal away their lives. I was looking at the baby when I said that. It's not, it's not, <laughs> she's so cute. <laughs> um, he comes as a thief. He comes as a thief. And for those things that are independent of Christ, that are found in the darkness, Jesus will be a thief and will steal them away. Such that uh, these people who are saying there's peace and security, there will be no peace or security left. He'll have stolen that from them. That in their place, there will be mourning and there will be sorrow. And that day can come at any moment. Right. How are we all feeling about this? Yeah, we're all feeling, we're all feeling pretty good. Um... <laughs> Um, this, is, this is scary. 
Because um, Jesus, before he came in humiliation, he came as, as the baby, who is not very intimidating. It, uh, when he comes again, he comes, he comes riding a steed with, uh, with a cloak uh, bathed in blood. It's, it's not a pretty picture. When he comes, he will come as the, the glorious king that he always was. That was masked because of, of the duty that he had to do on the cross. But he will come in glory. And he will come in justice. And he will destroy all evil. He will destroy all sin. He will destroy all rebellion against God. And there will be nothing left. Nothing left but, but his glory and the things that glorify him. And he can do that at, at any moment. Now that is why I, this, this verse in Amos 5, it's, it's really good. Um, Woe to those who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you desire the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. It is darkness and not light. And so he's, God is telling his people like, do you realize what the day of the Lord means? That you're all excited about it, but do you have reason to be excited? Or are you going to be destroyed on this day? This is a day that you, should, you shouldn't be joyfully wanting to see. And this is where God is very honest with us about this day. That he tells us to his people. And if we're going to want this day to happen... And look forward to this day. We need to have a, a good reason for why we want to see it. We need to know that we stand on solid ground. Right. So how do we respond to this? The problem is that we, we tend to respond to this by thinking that, well, I, I need to get my act together. I need to get my act together. And that's why we want the forewarning. Because if, if it... Oh, well, before there's going to be like 10 earthquakes in 10 different cities. And then we know like, okay, like I need to be a, like a good person now. <laughs> like muster it all up until the final warning comes. Then I think I can, I can do it for a little bit. All right. That is not, that is not the strategy. And that's not the strategy because God has a, an all or nothing take on this. That if you are in the darkness, if you are a child of the darkness... There is nothing you can do to get into the light. It's not a gradual process. You're, we are, we are, without him, we are children of the darkness. And the thief will come upon us as a thief in the night and steal away everything that we have. Now, how do you know if you're trying to, to be a good enough person to earn your way into the kingdom? All right, if you think about the day of the Lord and you, and you think, well, I, I just need a little more time. He can't come tomorrow because like, I'm, not, I'm not quite where I need to be yet. If that's how you feel about the day of the Lord, uh, you're mustering up your righteousness. Trying to prove to God that you, you get to, to escape judgment, that you're going to be good enough to pass the test. Or maybe you... you you vacillate back and forth. And you're like, well, Jesus, you should have come last week. Because last week I was, I was doing pretty well. But this week, don't come, Jesus. 
I'm not ready for you this week. And that's going to that's going to suck all of the joy and all the assurance out of the Christian life. That we're going to be vacillating back and forth. We're going to look at the day of the Lord and we're going to tremble because we should tremble. We're not going to pass the test. If we are children of the darkness and just trying to muster up some goodness for enough time to, to do well right when Jesus comes. There's no hope in that. God, God remembers everything. He sees everything. He's going to remember a month back when you weren't doing so well. We cannot fool him. So, so what do we do? What, do we, what is the strategy? How do we prepare ourselves for the day of the Lord? Well, let's look at, at what Paul says to the church of Thessalonica. Verse 6. Um, no, sorry, sorry. Verse 4. Verse 4. He says that only one group, one group gets to rejoice at this day. The children of the light. Verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. You are not of the night and of the darkness. Now this is a pretty bold statement. That Paul, Paul boldly says that, you know what, you don't have to worry. Because you know what, you're not in the darkness. You're not one of those people. And when Jesus comes for you, he's not going to come to steal. He only steals from those in the darkness. That if you are in the light, he actually comes to, to bless you. He comes to be your house guest. He comes to, to welcome you. Because his kingdom is the kingdom of light and you will be well received in that kingdom. Because the children of light, they are, they are born of the kingdom of light. They are pure. They are, they are beautiful. They are glorified. Their hearts long for the things of God. Their treasures are God himself and his worship. They are perfect. They are unstained. They are holy. And for those people, Jesus doesn't come to steal. He comes to, to bless and to give. In fact, the scriptures talk about kind of Robin Hood-esque Jesus. He actually swoops in. He, he steals from the darkness and he steals from the wicked and actually gives to the righteous. That those children of light, they, are, they have cause to rejoice in this day. They have cause to rejoice in this day. And Paul is certain, is certain that the, the Thessalonian church, they are of that category. They are children of the light. They are, he's confident of it. There's no doubt in his mind. They are perfect in God's sight. And so they have nothing to fear. Now that's when we ask ourselves, uh, would we describe ourselves that way? Are we children of light or children of darkness? There are only two options here. But for those who are of the light, they, they can be confident that when this kingdom comes, it, it's, it's their king coming. 
It's their victorious one representing them. And what, this look, what does this look like for these children of light? Look at verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Notice that this is not, this is not Paul saying how to become a children of light. Or a child of light. He's saying that this is how they act because that's who they are. They, re they, they interact with the world as if they are walking in the daytime. As if the time is the is light that everything is revealed to them. They have nothing to hide. And so they don't do two things. They don't do two things. The first one is like exactly what we would expect. Very, very religious-y. They don't get drunk. They don't get drunk. Now, why, why is that on the, on the list? I think this encompasses a larger category that those who are in the darkness, they... They find life in, in sinful pleasures. They're hedonists. And that their joy is found in the darkness. Their joy is found in sin. That their life is there. That's where, that's where drunkenness is parallel uh, throughout the whole scripture is that, that wine makes the heart glad. And that drunkenness is sort of a, a dead pleasure. A dead way of seeking joy. And those who are in the darkness can seek that. We'll seek that all over the place. These dead joys. These poisonous joys. That aren't going to last into eternity. That, that are going to disappoint in the end. That are going to leave you broken. And, and leave you dead inside. Now I think we can understand that. Okay, that's, that's bad. There's another one that we might not expect. The other one is just falling asleep. To be asleep. And that's where the, the, the bad guys in the Bible aren't just the like people going out partying. It's also the very responsible people who go to sleep at 8.30 as they should. And, but they're asleep. Which in, in this book is, is kind of a metaphor for death. They are dead to the life that is found in Christ. They are dead to the promises of God. They are dead to worship. They are dead to the relationship with God that, that life is founded upon. Both of those things are evidence that, that you are dead, that you are not in Christ, that you are not a child of the light. And notice that at no point is Paul saying you need to become a child, a child of the light. It's just you are. And if you are, you act like it. If you are, you act like it. You don't get to be kind of this hybrid. And there are hybrids that are pretending to be, that are children of the light, but are acting like they're dead. And Paul's basically saying, like, what are you doing? You are alive. You are not dead. Why would you drink this poison thinking that it's, it's going to help you? Why would you be cutting off your limbs? Why would you be essentially burying yourself in a grave when you are alive? That is what these things are. 
to fall asleep to Christ and to God, to pursue these sins that, that are destructive. It's, it's getting back in the tomb, rolling the stone over, and, and saying, well, I, I'm alive, but I, I'm going to pursue death. And he says, that's utter foolishness. What are you doing? That's not who you are. You are not dead. You are not dead. Look at verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now these children of light, they're, they're not only awake, they're not only not sinning, but they're, they're putting on their armor. Because the day of the Lord is their day. That when Jesus comes as the victorious, kind of on the, on the horse, defeating evil and death, they're fighting alongside him. They're part of that war. We are part of that war. And then we take up our armor and we, we fight against sin and death and evil because we hate it as Christ does. We love the light. We love the things of God because there is light and life in those things. There's light and life in those things. So the big question is then, um, are you a child of the darkness or are you a child of the light? You don't, you don't like muster up one or the other. You are one or the other. You are one or the other. And I would say, do you, do you know which one you are? Do you know which one you are? Look at verse 9. It's the final, the final point. The resurrection makes it very clear where you stand. And the, the whole passage stands on, on this part. Verse 9. For, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. That is the foundation of this whole passage. That the children of light have been destined to salvation and destined to life. There is no wrath for them. And there is no wrath for them because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who died for us. If Jesus Christ died for us, then we are the children of light. We are the children of light. That we are the holy ones. We are the perfect ones. That there is no more judgment because Jesus Christ on the cross bore that for us. That on the cross, Jesus took kind of the personal day of the Lord. That the day of the Lord came on Good Friday. That Jesus Christ bore all of the sin and then God poured out all of his wrath upon him. We think of, of what Jesus cried out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was the only child of light. The only one who actually did it. The only one who could have stood at the day of the Lord and, and been justified. Been seen as clean. Not been judged. 
And yet here is Jesus on the cross crying out saying, saying, my God, my God. Not Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That he, he became a child of the darkness. He became dead to the night. That God actually destined him for wrath and poured out all of the judgment upon him. Now, if that is true, and we are in Christ, there is no more judgment for us. The day of the Lord has been satisfied on the cross. There's nothing left to be judged. That is what we believe if we have died with Christ. And then when Jesus Christ rose from the, rose from the dead, he rose triumphant, he rose in light. He became this glorious one. And we are now that children of light. We are now the, the, the children who are perfect as Christ is perfect. When Christ resurrected, that's who we became spiritually. We became the children of light. And I ask you, do, do you believe that? Is that your only hope? When you picture Jesus coming and judging the world, what is his face going to look like? If you're found in Christ, it, you, there should be a smile on his face. This should be the prodigal son father, excited to see his children again. In Christ, there's nothing left for him to, to have on his face. That he has been satisfied. That we inherit uh, this beautiful life of Christ, the perfect life of Christ, and we have nothing to fear. Now, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Encourage one another. Tell each other, you are children of light. You are perfect in Christ. You are perfectly received. That you are perfectly loved. And from that, we should remind ourselves, you, we shouldn't act like we're dead anymore. Stop pursuing the dead things. Stop killing yourself. Stop pursuing the, the deeds of darkness. Not because, oh, then you're going to get judged. No, it's because those things are dead and we don't want them anymore. We want to be alive with Christ. We want to live with him. We want the, the glorious and beautiful life that he offers. And that's where ultimately we encourage one another to worship. To worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That he has done this and that no nook or cranny of our life should have this fear or this fear of judgment, this fear of retribution. The day of the Lord doesn't get to be that anymore. All right, when we hear about the day of the Lord, we don't get to, get to frown or wince. We get to be excited. You get to be excited about the day of the Lord because you know what's going to happen then. That you're a child of the light. That you're going to get abundant gifts, primarily of which is Christ himself. Let's take advantage of that gift now. Let us live with him. Let us rejoice with him. Let us worship him. Because we are children of the light even now. Let's pray. Let's pray.
Father, um, we praise and worship you. You're abundantly gracious to us that in all of our sin and all of our hatred of you, you gave us your son. You poured out your wrath upon him and not us. That we are not destined for wrath, we are destined to obtain salvation. Father, how unworthy are we, but we are, we are very grateful. Father, as we think about uh, your returning, your coming, your, the day of the Lord, we ask that we would not tremble, we would be, we'd be excited, we'd be joyful. We would trust that Christ is enough, that his blood has washed us, that we are already what you say we are. And now, Father, give us a greater sense of joy to walk in that, to walk in the light, to walk in life, and, and to walk in the joy of being in your presence. Father, would we would be filled with the Spirit that we may be empowered to do that, that we may honor your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.